Today on Let the Bible Speak. There are more kinds of churches in the world today than nearly one can count. So does it really make any difference which one I'm a member of? Good morning and welcome. It's my privilege to be with you to study the Word of God. Thanks for joining me today. Should we be concerned about doctrine and religious practice? Does it matter what we believe and how we are saved and how we worship God, what name we wear spiritually? I believe it's safe to say most people today would answer, at least in regard to most of those questions, no, at the end of the day it really doesn't make any difference as long as a person is sincere or their heart is in the right place and so forth. We've been engaged in a series of lessons over the past few weeks asking, does it make any difference? Today we wish to apply that question to the subject of the church. Thousands and thousands of congregations made up of well-meaning and honest people will come together today or this week to worship God according to their own consciences and beliefs. There are so many differences between them that it is certainly tempting to throw our hands up, exasperated, and ask, what difference does it make anyhow? But is that the biblical attitude to take toward the situation that exists today? Long ago, the first converts to the Christian faith heard Peter preach the gospel on the day of Pentecost, and Acts chapter 2 tells us that those who believed what Peter preached wanted to be saved, and Peter commanded them all to repent of their sins and to be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. Some 3,000 people did just that that very day and were added to the number of the disciples. Acts chapter 2, verse 47 tells us, Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Now notice that every person who was saved was added by the Lord to the church. That should inform us that our being part of the church is important to God. But which church? Were there various options for people to choose from? Was it a matter of people joining a church that fit their preferences or their own family traditions? Today we want to look seriously into the Word of God to answer the question, does it make any difference which church I'm a member of? And I hope you won't lightly dismiss the question, but will stay with me to consider what the Scriptures teach after a song.
question we have posed for our study and consideration today is, does it make any difference which church I belong to? Now, if we were to try to settle this question by people's opinions, we would just conclude this broadcast now because I think most people today would surely say it makes little to no difference about the church as long as people are honest and sincere. But we shouldn't be concerned with the opinions of men. Instead, we should earnestly want to know what the Bible teaches and thus what the Lord says about the matter. Paul said that we are to test all things and hold fast what is good, 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 21. You cannot be spiritually and intellectually lazy and at the same time do what Paul commands us to do. And uh, this command to test all things is just as true when it comes to the church as it is any other matter. Now first, before we discuss the differences that exist between religious organizations, I think we should point out that it makes a difference whether we're part of the church at all. Every survey that's taken shows an accelerating decline in the number of people who identify with the church or attend the assemblies of any church whatsoever. Now many of these people still claim to believe in God or be spiritual or even claim to be Christians. But they don't believe that the corporate church is necessary to being a faithful Christian and living the Christian life. Well, one must overlook a number of plain passages of Scripture to reach that conclusion. Now, for one thing, the word church refers to a body of people called out, not only into a literal local assembly, as it's used in some contexts, but also called out of the world and into a relationship with Christ, but simultaneously a relationship with one another. The Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved, says Luke in Acts 2 and verse 47. And earlier in verse 42, he describes how those new disciples continued in the acts of corporate fellowship and worship. Uh, Paul referred to the congregation in the city of Corinth as the body of Christ in that place in which they were all members in particular. So he uses the metaphor of a physical body to describe the congregation. Well, you can't have a living and functioning body with its various parts detached and, and scattered and independent of one another. It would no longer be a body, and it certainly wouldn't be alive, and it wouldn't be functioning. It has to be joined together. Now, it is God's will for every Christian to not only be part of the church, as that word describes a unique relationship to God called out from, separated from the world, but to be part of a local congregation of people of like precious faith. We're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, said the apostle in Hebrews 10 verse 25. And Paul said in Ephesians 3 and verse 21 that we glorify God in and through the church which is unestablished. Paul also told the elders of that same congregation in his final and tearful meeting with them at Miletus, as described in Acts 20 and verse 28. He said, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, or the church of the Lord, as one version renders it, which he purchased with his own blood. Now, my friend, if Jesus Christ endured the agony of the cross and poured out his own life's blood to purchase the church, and if God even foreknew and predestined that to take place, you can know beyond the shadow of any doubt that Christ is not indifferent about the church. God is not indifferent about the church. The church matters to Him, and it should matter to you, and it should matter to me. Whether you're a faithful member of the church matters. It makes a difference. But then, you see, we're confronted with the sad reality, the disturbing reality, 
of confusion and division among those who claim to be part of the church. And perhaps, in fact, I'm rather certain that that's one of the reasons that so many have divorced themselves from the concept of the corporate church. Either they're so confused about which church or they're so overwhelmed they don't care. One organization that compiles research about Christianity, I read the other day, estimates that there are 33,000 denominations in the United States alone. Now that number is staggering and it sounds rather high and I don't know how they're defining a denomination. Perhaps they're counting uh, individual congregations that don't have any visible association with any others. But really it doesn't matter. Regardless, we know that whatever the specific number, it is high. It's far too high. And I'll go so far as to say it's a disgrace and it's a disservice to the message and cause of Jesus Christ. That's not what the Lord planned. That's not what the Lord willed. That's not what the Lord instituted. Now, I'm not so naive as to think that we got here overnight and that with the snap of a finger, such an awful condition will simply disappear. No, the present state is the result of centuries and centuries and centuries of division, human tradition, departures from the Word of God. But what I do know is that it is not according to the will of God. How do I know that? Well, for a number of reasons. Number one, because the Bible plainly condemns such divisions. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Now that's a lofty aim, but it's a biblical one nonetheless. And I can tell you that denominationalism is the antithesis of it. How can one uphold the idea of denominationalism? Join the church of your choice. It doesn't matter one's as good as another when you read what Paul said in that verse. And there are a number of other verses that teach in principle the same truth. The problem we have is there's very little effort to achieve it because people have chosen to indifferently shrug and assume that this is just the way things simply have to be. And so why worry about it? You have your beliefs and I'll have mine. Who's to say who's right and who is wrong? How could we ever settle it? As long as we're all sincere, then what difference does it make what church I'm a member of? But you see, and friends, this is critically important. Jesus did not institute a system of denominations and varying and contradictory organizations within Christianity. Can we we agree on that? Now, people may disagree about which one represents the church that Jesus established. But can we not agree that Jesus did not establish a church divided into thousands of denominations? He actually prayed and pleaded for the very opposite. In his great high priestly prayer before he went to the cross, he prayed in John 17 verses 20 and 21, I do not pray for these alone, speaking of his apostles, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Well, that includes me and you if we are Uh, if we've obeyed the gospel, we're believers in Jesus Christ, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Paul indicted the behavior of the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 12 when he said, I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Now you could just transfer those names to more modern names. Names of theologians, names of the reformers and the restorers, and names of this one and names of that one, and this practice and that practice, this hobby and that hobby. 
this unique characteristic and that unique characteristic. I am of this or I am of that. But Paul says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you or were you baptized in the name of Paul? It makes you wonder what would Paul say today about the religious landscape of thousands of factions, sects, and denominations wearing every kind of name, professing all sorts of various creeds, preaching different doctrines, practicing all sorts of contradictory things. Would he approve of that? Or might he call people back to Christ and his and the other apostles' teachings? And see, that's what restoring New Testament Christianity comes back to. The problem is the answer of most people today to the division that exists is to simply accept it, embrace it, and to continue it. When it is condemned, the blame is nearly always, and I want you to observe this, when it is condemned, the blame for this division is nearly always placed upon those who demand of thus saith the Lord for our belief and practice instead of those who insist on things that cannot be found in the New Testament. Very few people seem interested today in searching the Bible and doing as Paul required in the passage we cited earlier, and that is to test all things, hold fast to those things that are good. Are you willing to do that? Am I willing to do that? Friend, we will never begin to right the ship until we agree upon a standard for what is right as opposed to what is wrong, and we faithfully uphold that standard, and we conscientiously and sincerely try to apply that standard. Instead, we want ecumenism and simply go along and get along and whatever people want to believe, preach and practice. Well, I may not agree with it, but don't say anything about it or you're just causing more division. You see, that's the drumbeat that we hear today. Friend, I do not expect to see a wholesale return to the Bible and, denomin and, and uh, denominationalism and institutionalized division to simply disappear anytime soon. But I know this, we can plead for the unity of the Spirit as, and we can as idealistic as some think it is. We can resolve to go back to the Bible and to simply be the church as Christ established it in the beginning, only practicing those things the New Testament church practiced. Now if we're serious about that, we have to be willing to lay aside things that the New Testament does not sanction and authorize. If that's not our goal, just how far are we willing to go? Now think about the other end of the spectrum there. If that's not our goal, then how far are we willing to drift with the tide? How far are we willing to go embracing the continuing change that we see in religion today? Is there a point where it goes too far and you say no more? And if you reach such a point and if you take such a stand, are you then causing division? Or are you trying to point people back to the beginning and the pattern that we find in Christ and His apostles? So, number one, it makes a difference which church because the Bible condemns the division that denominationalism represents, and we all ought to oppose that division and do what we can to work against it. Number two, it makes a difference which church because Christ only built one. We will never read in Scripture where Jesus ever promised or where He ever did establish more than one church. He told Peter and the other disciples in Matthew 16 verse 18, on this rock, which was the truth of Christ that Peter had just confessed, he said, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Jesus did not say I will build 33,000 or however many churches. He said, I will build my church, singular. And please note that he said it would be his church. It belongs to him. He planned it. He died for it. He built it. He is the head over it. He commissioned his apostles to rule with him over it. 
Now people will say, well, yes, but you see, that one church is made up of all of the various denominations. Well, show me in the Bible where the Lord ever established the church to consist of thousands of denominations. The Lord built His church, and no one has ever had or ever will have the right to build any other. Now today you can launch out, you, you can launch out and you can found any kind of church that you want to. We all see all kinds of professing churches today that wear every manner of name, some of them especially strange, that identify them as a peculiar religious body. They preach different things. They worship in varying ways. Now, you know, you have the civil right to do that. Nobody's standing in your way legally of doing that, especially in this country of the United States where we have the freedom to practice religion according to our conscience. You can establish a church that believes whatever you want it to believe, preach just about whatever you want to preach, worship however you and its members decide and see fit, but friend, it won't be the Lord's church. You may have the civil right to start it, but you don't have the scriptural right to start it. And the Lord does not accept it, for He said, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted shall be uprooted, Matthew 15, verse 13. What we have the scriptural right to do is to seek to be the church that we read about in the Bible. The only congregation that has the scriptural right to exist is one that is built by Christ Himself, and that means one that is built according to His Word and is patterned after the one He began on the day of Pentecost. Now, I know people say that denominations are inevitable because there are just too many differences between people culturally, historically, socially, and so forth. But is that really true? Well, it's interesting that Christ could have built two or more churches very early on, but He didn't do that. The first converts to Christianity were Jews, and a few years later, Gentiles began to flood into the kingdom. Now there were thousands of years of cultural, social, and religious differences that had existed between the children of Abraham and the other nations of the world. Even though many of the Jews of the first century were Hellenized throughout the Greek world and Roman Empire, the differences were still vast, especially spiritually speaking. And when the first Gentiles became obedient to the faith, it caused no little stir among Christians of Jewish descent, bringing these people from different backgrounds together. You had Gentiles coming from a pagan and immoral background. You had Jews who had lived under the law of Moses. And it presented such difficulty that the apostles and elders, you may recall, had to meet in Jerusalem in Acts 15 to quell the controversy. The apostles, who were inspired and acting by Christ's personal authority, by the way, they gave instructions to keep the Gentiles free from idolatry, and at the same time refused to bind the Old Testament law on them. But you see, what they could have done, but did not do, was countenance a division into two churches or two denominations. They could have started a Jewish denomination and a Gentile denomination, arbitrarily assigned them identifying names and allowed them to worship and operate according to their own traditions and desires. But that's not what happened. In fact, listen to Paul in Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 13. He says, But now in Christ Jesus you who once were far off, that's the Gentiles, have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for He Himself is our peace, who hath made both Jew and Gentile one, and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in His flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in Himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that He might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. 
Notice they were brought together in one body. You didn't have a Jewish church in Ephesus and a Gentile church in Ephesus, a Jewish church in Jerusalem, a Gentile church. You didn't have that. They were brought together in one body. What is the body? Paul said in Colossians 1 and verse 18 that the body is the church. When Paul recited the seven things that bind together the church of Christ in Ephesians chapter 4, he succinctly and emphatically said, there is one body, verse 4, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, verse 5. Friend, if a person can find room for denominationalism in that, I don't know what the Bible could possibly say to teach otherwise. Denominationalism is an invention of man and it's a tool of the devil to divide, confuse, and obfuscate the path to serving God in spirit and in truth. Yes, it makes a difference which church because Christ only built one and no more. Finally, it makes a difference because it is possible to restore and practice the ancient faith. We're not left to wonder what the early church under the oversight of the apostles believed and how they were organized and how they worshiped. We're not left to wonder what they taught for doctrine. We have the New Testament. The book of Acts is a rather detailed record of the spread of Christianity throughout the world and the establishment of many congregations of the Lord's church. The epistles are letters by Paul, Peter, James, John, and others instructing the church how to live and how to operate. Paul told Timothy, for example, in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 15, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Paul told the Corinthians that they were not to think beyond what is written, 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 6. Paul condemned them because, or rather I should say commended them, because they were trying to keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. You see, we can not only know what the apostles expected the church to believe, preach and practice, those things are there so that we might do the very same. Now that means we don't practice many of the things that are widely embraced by the religious world today because they're not authorized in the scriptures, but so be it. If the New Testament gives us a pattern and an example for what the church was then while Christ's apostles preached and worked among them, then it makes a difference what we believe and practice today as well. Friend, are you curious enough and earnest enough to take the Bible in hand and search for the church you may be a member of? Can you read its way of worship in the New Testament? Can you read how it is organized and governed in the New Testament? Can you read the name that you call it in the New Testament, or does it wear some other name? These are serious questions. And the church for which Christ died is too precious. The words of God are too important, and our souls are too valuable to believe error and embrace that which Christ did not author nor intend. Yes, the church makes a difference. There's not a friend like the
hope every one of us has been challenged to take our faith and our beliefs and our practices very seriously and not take them for granted. Instead, to open up the Word of God and to see what it says about the church that Jesus established and to ask ourselves the question, am I a member of that church? How can I know that I'm a member of that church? How do I know that I'm a member of that church? The answers are in the Word of God if we'll just have the interest and take the time to search what the Word of God has to say. And so I hope that we've all been challenged to do that. If you'd like to have a free copy of today's lesson so you can go back and review it or share it with others, others, we're always happy to share it with you free of charge. Simply get in touch with us and ask for the lesson today, Does it make any difference which church? And we will get that in the mail to you as quickly as we can. There is no charge. We never offer anything uh, with any cost or obligation whatsoever. It is simply yours for the asking. We're glad to distribute these materials for the furtherance of the gospel and to assist you in your study of the Word of God or in sharing the Word of God with other people. So let us hear from you today. And today in particular, we'd love to hear from our viewers in Montana and Wyoming. If you're watching out of Billings, Montana, why not uh, call the number you see at the bottom of your screen or drop us an email or uh, uh, send us a postcard and let us know that you watch the program and that you are blessed by the teaching of God's Word from week to week. We'd just simply like to hear from you. Remember, you can find us online, ltbstv.org, and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. And also, we have a podcast you can subscribe to if you want to listen on the go throughout the week. Thanks for joining me today. Have a wonderful week ahead. And if God is willing, I'll meet you back here next time for another Bible study. And I hope you'll encourage someone else to join us then as well. Have a great week. In the meantime, God bless you. Let the Bible Speak is brought to you by The Church of Christ. For more information, including our past broadcast and sermon transcripts, visit ltbstv.org. Thanks for being with us today. Join us next time for Let the Bible Speak.